Interest rates have been rising rapidly recently. And if you've got a mortgage, this is not ideal. We've done a podcast on that. But if you've got some cash savings, then this could be the first time in about 13 years that you could start to get actual decent returns from cash savings. So today I thought we would talk about what are the options where you could store some cash savings. And the reason we're talking about that is because you have some cash savings at the moment, which is basically money that you've saved up in order to pay off your help to buy ISO. Is that right? Not help to buy ISO. Yep, not I say I've helped to buy a loan. That's it. Yep. So yeah. I'm going to try and repay that soon. Okay. So we're just going to like chat through it because we chat through things all the time off the podcast and we're going to try chatting for it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Also, Matthew, our podcast editor, is away. So we weren't supposed to do a podcast this week. And that means we're going to be editing it ourselves, which is like the bad old days when we actually did used to edit ourselves. So this could be pretty ropey. Yeah. And when you say we, you mean you. Exactly. It'll be really bad if I did it. And then we normally put the intro in, but. We'll just do the intro ourselves. So I'm Dr. Tommy Perkins. I'm a GP and co-founder of Medics Money. Yep. And I'm Dr. Ed Cantelow, a salary GP and also a co-founder of Medics Money, but also an accountant and a chartered tax advisor. Uh, are you going public on your new qualification yet? Which Oh, yeah. I've also got a, a diploma in financial advice, a dip FA as well. I got that in March, I think it was all. Which some, means some that you could also be a financial advisor as well. I think so. Which is absolutely bonkers. Uh, I have nothing like that. And then we have to say something about like tax allowances and rates subject to change. This isn't financial advice. Do your own research. Yeah. Disclaimer. All right. Disclaimer inserted. That means I don't have to do it in the edit. So the less editing needed, the better. No questions. But yeah. So, you know, basically imagine you have some cash right now. What we're going to do is just go through some options that we can think of, of effective places to store it. But we've been getting a few questions like on our Instagram, on our YouTube comments, and we're on threads now as well. I'm going to assume you don't know what threads is. No offense. No, I do actually. I mean, because I read the papers, not, you know. Apologies. Yeah. Apologies, sir. About basically saying, you know, is cash, because I've been saying cash is trash for a long time. And what I mean by that is that historically, Cash is not an investment, okay? So if you've watched our YouTube video, you've already seen this graph, but I'm now gonna attempt to do a screen share. Oh, this is not gonna go well, is it? Because we need this to be a smooth edit. Okay. Oh, I think it's worked. Okay, so hopefully you are now looking at a graph which shows the returns of investing one pound in 1900 in the green line is equities, which is stocks and shares. The blue line is bonds, which is essentially buying other people's debts and cash self-explanatory. Okay, so this is why, historically speaking, cash is not an investment. Because as you can see from this line, if you invested one pound in 1900 in stocks and shares or equities, you would have 386 pounds today. If you invested that one pound in 1900 in bonds, you would have four pounds today. And look at that tail off in bonds in the last sort of two or three years. So at the end of the graph there, bonds have been getting hammered. And if you invested one pound in cash, nearly nearly 122 years ago, you would have just two pounds today, okay? So past performance does not indicate future returns, but that is why in general, I do not hold much cash because it is getting destroyed by inflation and historically cash has not been a great investment. So you're like, okay, 
how long could I invest for? Like, say you've got some money and saved up. Like, for your example, right? You've got this money saved up and you need it inside the next five years, yeah? Mm -hmm. And if you go to see a financial advisor, they will say, okay, if you need it within the next five years, you probably should not invest it in equities, mm -hmm. despite what I've just said. But what is the reason for that? Well, again, if you've watched our investing videos on YouTube, you will know the reason, but here is hopefully another graph, which shows why five years is suggested as the minimum term for investment. Because basically what this graph shows is that the longer that you invest for, the less chance you have of losing money, okay? But if you invest for one year, you've got actually a reasonable chance. And this is all historical speaking, okay? So using stock market returns from 1950 to 2022, 2022. Okay, that's not even getting edited out either. Oh man, this is punishing, we're having no editor. But anyway, that's the gist, that if you do it for a year, the risk of losing your money is actually reasonably high. But if you do it for more, five years or more, the risk gets lower. So basically, if it's really short term and you need it in the short term, investing in the stock market, probably not a great idea. But then you're like, oh, well, how, what am I going to do with it? Because if I keep it in cash, inflation is destroying the value of it. And then the other argument that I keep seeing at the moment, and you'll see this argument forevermore, is that, oh, it's not a good time to invest at the moment. Okay, so let's imagine you have got more than five years time frame. You don't need the money for more than five years, but you're like, oh, inflation is high. There's a war in Ukraine. You know, I'm going to wait to invest because it's not a good time to invest. Well, this is the graph of a major stock market indices, in this case, the S&P 500 in America, mapped to a whole wealth of world events. So we've got the Gulf War on there. We've got the dot-com bubble. We've got the global financial crisis. We've got the coronavirus crash, okay? And despite all of these awful, awful things happening, in the past, historically, it's always gone up and to the right, okay? So my point here is that there's always doomsayers saying, oh, you know, it's not the right time to invest. This time it's different. Well, if you think that this time is different, you might be right, but just have a look at this graph and ask yourself, Probably there were people sat around during the Black Monday saying this time it's different and they didn't invest for 10 years. Well, they lost out on an awful lot of gains doing that. So does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. Got any questions? Nope. I remember Black Monday. It was around the same time as a hurricane in the UK, I'm pretty sure. And my friends blew up, blew down. Well, same mine. My parents' friends blew down. Anyway, they'll decide they're for you. <laughs> Do you remember the Iranian oil crisis? No, I was like four at that point. Oof. Yeah, and I don't, don't remember before you ask the post-Korean War recession either. Which was in 1953 <laughs> or four? Yeah. Yeah, um, but pretty much I remember over half of this, which is a mm. bit disappointing because we're getting old. Anyway, let's not mull on that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, so you've got this money. You need it in the next five years. So you've decided that you're not going to invest it because of the reasons that I just outlined and that is not investment advice. I'm just pointing out what the numbers say. Okay. So where could you store this cash? And basically what you're saying is you need this cash to be liquid, right? Which means at any one point you need to be able to go to go and get it. Okay. And if it's in an investment and the stock market is down, then you're going to lose a ton of money. So it needs to be somewhere liquid. So the most liquid place that I can think of for storing money is in a bank account, you know, just put yeah. it in the bank. And historically, you know, for the last 10 or 13 years, interest rates were really, really, really low. And so that wasn't really a viable option. I'd argue that long term, it's still not a viable option because of the chart that I just showed you. But short term, 
interest rates are a lot better now. So I think that's a reasonable option. And the pros of that are it's reasonably secure. So you might be aware that you can have up to £85,000 protected. I think it's called the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. Yep. So basically, if your bank goes bust and you've got less than £85,000 in there, then you're guaranteed to get that money back. So it's reasonably secure. And if you're thinking that sounds unlikely, well, you might be aware that Silicon Valley Bank in America had a bit of trouble recently. And uh, I'm sure you are old enough to remember Northern Rock. Yep, yeah. So, yeah, the the obvious downside of storing it in the bank is what I just talked about, really, isn't it? That if the bank's paying you 4% interest and inflation is 8% or more, you are still losing at least 4% on that cash, which is very challenging place to be but uh, the other thing that i wanted you to explain in a bit more detail if possible is how you get taxed because if you put that money in the bank you get interest how you get taxed on that interest because this could be a con for high rollers basically or higher earners yeah no absolutely so it always used to be the case that you know your interest income was just added to your other income and then taxed usually at your your marginal rate so in, in the old days when i was studying at pwc or studying for my exams you take your employment income tax that and then your bank interest tax that then dividend income and so on but in around 2016 they introduced some new rules which said that if you're a basic rate taxpayer you can earn up to a thousand pounds in interest without being charged income tax okay so you get one thousand pounds sort of savings allowance basically and if you're a higher rate taxpayer you have a 500 pound allowance and if you're an additional high rate taxpayer, you have no, no allowance whatsoever. So you'll just be paying 45% tax uh, on your bank interest. Okay. So, you know, in, it, it was introduced this £1,000 tax for allowance or £500 for high rate taxpayers. It was basically introduced to try and spare most people from having to pay tax on their interest. But again, like everything else in the world, in the UK, they've not increased that threshold since it was brought in in 2016. So because interest rates are kind of rising, they actually think that a million more Britons will start paying tax on their savings this year. So definitely worth watching out for that because you may just not realise that if you didn't know, you know, you pre worked on the basis that perhaps because it's been tax free before, it's always gonna be tax free. But actually, you know, with the rising interest rates, just bear in mind that you may actually potentially fall above that, those income thresholds. Yeah. Yeah, good knowledge, good tax knowledge. And I guess that interacts with something that I'm going to mention in a minute, which is a cash ISA. Because if you are in that high rate band and you are going to get stung by this having cash in the bank, you could consider putting in a cash ISA where, of course, it would be tax free. Because yeah. uh, I've got some numerical example, so I might, might help. Love it. So if you think about, you know, if you had £100,000 in the bank account, you know, you'd basically need £100,000 at 1% to pay any savings tax if you're a basic rate taxpayer. But if in, you know, currently in 2023, you know, if you have, I think here are the numbers, £38,461, now interest rates are higher, let's say it's 2.6%, that will mean you'll start to pay tax. Okay. So, you know, a long time ago, you know, if you had a, a interest rate 1%, you'd need, you know, £100,000 to start paying tax. But now, you know, if you've got 38,000 in savings with the interest rates being what they are, that's going to trigger a demand from HMRC. So the point is, 
interest rates rising, you're going to be much more likely to have to pay the savings tax. Yeah, definitely. I think like it's always good to keep your finances under regular review, but there's been so many changes recently, like within tax, within the annual allowance for the NHS pension, with interest rates that you've got to be like hyper vigilant at the moment because so much going on. But that is awesome knowledge. So just pointing that out, don't get don't get stung by that tax trap. So what I was talking about before for putting it in the bank, that's just like a normal bank account where you can just go in, get your money out, no worries. The banks also offer like fixed term saving products where you have to like guarantee that you're going to keep it there for maybe a year or two. And that may or may not be suitable for you. And in general, the advantage of these are that because you're guaranteeing giving it to them for a year or two or more, then it will give you a higher rate. The cons are just exactly what we just mentioned, really. And I'm going to add in a slightly nuanced point as well that some of these fixed term savings are for five years and it's like well you could if your individual circumstances are correct you could make the argument if you're going to keep it in the bank for five years you might as well invest it given that chart that i showed but that is definitely not advice speak to your friendly financial advisor next way store it in a cash isa so cash isa hopefully listeners of this podcast know about isas because we love isas but basically ISAs are what's called a tax-free wrapper, which basically means any, you put, say you put £20,000 in an ISA, which is the maximum amount in any one year, and that gains £10,000 in one year, you would not pay any additional tax on that. It's the gains inside the ISA are tax-free, right? Yep, gains, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, if you are affected by the interest payments that we talked about because of your earnings and the, the tapering down of that threshold, then a cash ISA could be a good option. Again, pretty nuanced point. If you're in the situation where you're an additional rate taxpayer and therefore you're getting stung by the interest on the bank interest, you could argue that you don't want to burn through your ISA allowance by put depositing cash and it would be better to use your ISA allowance for stocks and shares. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, so as you say, if you've got a stocks and shares ISA, then all the gains are tax-free, all the dividends you receive are tax-free. Whereas if you've got a cash ISA, all the interest income is tax-free. But you're right, if you're, it really, as you say, as, you, as we keep saying, it depends on your personal circumstances. But if you're kind of rich enough that you're in that 45% tax rate anyway, you may want to be putting your, all your money into a stocks and shares ISA for the long term rather than use it for a cash ISA but again personal circumstances you know I've got some money in a in a cash ISA because I'm going to be using that soon to pay my help to buy loan and uh, oh you've you just know. done a spoiler I was going to say at the end what option did you choose oh uh, well <laughs> don't spoil it anymore I've got multiple options though it's multifactorial okay right so, so keep listening because the, the YouTube away. algorithm likes you to keep listening and it doesn't like spoilers oh right well keep listening because I'm spoiled it all there's an incentive in fact that's even more intriguing now because i'm thinking what else have you done all right again highly dependent on your situation really dependent but you could do what's called a lifetime isa we've got tons of podcasts and youtube videos about this but lifetime isa useful for it well i wrote this one down but i need you to talk about it i mean basically yeah yeah Yeah. i mean so a cash lisa so lifetime isa it definitely has potentially a, a place in your investment portfolio okay you know once again because it's a an ISA form of ISA you will not pay any income tax on any interest you earn in that okay 
it's basically it's got two there are two uses for a lyser okay lots of rules about it in particular make sure you know if you do want someone up you do it before the age of 40 that's really important because from your 40th birthday you cannot set one up okay so if you're below 40 years old years of age and you want to lyser you can set one up for every let's say one pound you put in the government will put in 25p okay so if you put in four thousand pounds which is the maximum you can put in each tax year the government will top it up by a thousand pounds okay so every year you could put in four thousand up to into your lyser government will then put in one thousand pounds which normally comes in about a month or so later and then you can use it for one of two things if you meet the criteria one is to buy your first house and the second is you can use it for retirement when you reach the age of 60. So if you're, you know, it, it is a good, you know, we're not here to give advice at all. Uh, you know, a lot of people like Lysis because you're basically, let's say you're putting in £4,000, you're getting £1,000 automatically, which you can then get interest on or put it in a stocks and shares ISA. But of course, it's not particularly liquid, okay? You can't just take it out whenever you want, unlike a normal cash ISA. So that's yeah. definitely a downside. I thought about not including it on this list, but then I thought about that niche, that niche edge case where imagine you're saving for a house deposit. Oh yeah, definitely. It's, it's uh... literally designed for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but absolutely. yeah, you've got to do your research there, consult a financial advisor, listen to our podcast on devices. Next one. Premium bonds, okay. So uh, maybe you don't know about premium bonds, but essentially premium bonds, you pay, it's, it's done by National Savings and Investment, which is a government, I mean, it's the government basically, and you store, say you store your money in there, £100, each each £100 buys you a premium bond. And then every month, I think, they yeah. conduct some kind of lottery, basically, where one premium bond number is chosen to win, is the top price still a million pounds? Uh, yep. No increase in inflation, I noticed. No. Love it. Uh, I, think I think there were a couple of one million pound prizes. All right. Yeah. So it's basically like your chance to buy a, a lottery. Again, the, okay, so pros and cons of this. Pros, I mean, you could win a million pounds. Yep. Tax situation? So any money you make from premium bonds are tax-free. So if you make, if you win a prize, Imagine you won a million pounds, then you'd pay no tax on that whatsoever. And there's no uh, tax consequences of buying the premium bonds and no tax consequences of, of redeeming them either. So you won't pay any tax when you get your money back. All right. Cons, I'm just going to put returns, okay? I mean, I held, I was in a similar situation to you a couple of years ago where I had some cash in the bank because I needed to fix my house. I, I've definitely spent all of that cash now on the house and more. If anyone's done a house renovation, you, I know you know the pain. But anyway, the house is looking better. But my returns were absolutely dismal. The first thought, I was like, oh, yeah, wow, I won £25 today. And then I looked at how much I had in and I was like, hold on a minute. That's like a 0.04% annualized return. Like what? So, yeah, yeah. cons, returns. Yeah, quite some returns. I mean, the way it's meant to work is it's meant to be the the prize rate, the way in which you you win prizes is is set in such a way that it's meant to match, kind of like an interest rate for a savings account. So, strictly speaking, it's meant to be if you put money into premium bonds, it's meant to be the equivalent of I think it's at the moment something like a, a four point eight percent return interest rate return or something like that. I I can't remember exact numbers, but you know they keep, they've recently been increasing it in line with the Bank of England. You know interest rate rises so 
in theory, your return should be a little bit like if you put it into a, a bank account, but with no tax on the interest. But as Tommy says, you know, it is essentially a kind of lottery, to be honest. And, you know, you may go through months where you don't get anything at all. Or you might go every month getting, you know, a small amount, like £25, £50, £100, all yep. that. So, strictly speaking, it's meant to have the same sort of rate. They they change the price rates to match a kind of interest rate. But what you personally get um, can be very varied. Yeah. I think this is like a classic case where you can know the numbers and what is the numerically correct thing to do. And then you add in emotion or your own personality characteristics or things like that, which are a really important factor in investing. And then that sort of out is what you actually do, because this is me. I'm a natural gambler. And so even though I was looking, I sat there looking at absolutely dismal returns for 18 months, but I was just like, but I might win a million. So, you know, yeah, it's like, don't, don't, don't tell me what you think. Show me what you own, basically. So, yeah. I own some premium bonds. I use it to store my emergency fund. It's probably not the right place to store your emergency fund, to be perfectly honest. But no, uh, no, I think it's a very good place because you can redeem it fairly quickly. Well, yeah, it's liquid. Yeah, it's really liquid. Tax-free. Returns awful. Returns for most people are, are bad, but for as I say, it's meant to be decent. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I've think, never played the lottery uh, ever. So I kind of think of it as like that. Yeah. You know, he's a bit of a... Trivia for you. you know the, do you know what the machine is called that generates the uh, the winners? No, I do not. But you do, and this is ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know what it stands for, but it's called Ernie. 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 Yeah, it's got like a it's an acronym or something. But like, yeah, the machine that picks the winners is called Ernie. Love it. There you go. <laughs> wow. All right. So that's premium bonds. May or may not be a good option for you. I'm also going to add in something called fixed income bonds, which are again from National Savings and Investment and. This is like a fixed income bond, basically. So you give them some money and they guarantee to pay you that amount for a defined period. So I think a big pro of this is I mentioned earlier, if you have money in a bank, you are protected up to a limit of £85,000 if the bank were to go bust. Mm. With fixed income bonds from the National Savings and Investments, there is no limit. It's just all protected, as far as I know. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I mean, the National Savings and Investment people, I mean, they obviously government is a government body and their main residentia is to essentially get money for the government to pay for their debt so you know i think that's quite advantageous in that sense you mentioned so i know I'm preempting you you mentioned cons maybe low rates but actually i think they're fairly they're not too bad they're, the you know the government are quite intent or quite obsessed with uh, getting as much money from us as they can to help fund their debt so they've been asking the NSA and I to make their interest rates more lucrative. I mean, I'm not going to go on a tangent about how bond rates are set, but basically, the a bond, you know, it's basically lending the government money. And yeah. uh, because our economy is viewed as being absolutely destroyed, inflation running rampant, significantly higher than most of Europe and significantly higher than in the US, it's now quite risky to lend money to the UK government. And therefore, the benefit of that is you get higher returns. Yeah, that's what we're looking at. I mean, it's still, we say it's risky. It's not that risky at the moment, they think. So, you know, it's, it's allegedly very safe to lend money to the government is what most pundits would say. But you're right, the economy is not doing quite so well. I want so. to do a podcast on inflation yes. and everything like that, because I think, yeah, I think, I think you've got something to add there. But, uh, okay, we're getting into the weeds here, but the last two are quite big weeds, which 
if this is niche, but if it fits your circumstances, it can be amazing. So the next one I've got for you is something called an offset mortgage. So this is quite popular where basically an offset mortgage, it, it works by you can store money in the offset part of the mortgage and that reduces the effective balance that your interest is charged from. So imagine you had a mortgage for £250,000 and you had £50,000 cash stored in the offset mortgage. You would only pay interest on a balance of £200,000, not £250,000. Now, these used to be really popular amongst GP partners and inside our GP partnership course community, which has over 400 GP partners in it now. The next course is starting on September 27th. Apply now at medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course. Yes, got an advert in there. It might be sold out by the time this goes out. But anyway, have a look, apply. And if, you th if we think you're a good fit, we'll get back to you. Yeah, so it's quite good for GP partners because often they have their, they're self-employed and they have a lot of tax money ready to go to be paid out twice a year. And so it's actually not, you know, it's quite an, an all right option. Historically, the rates weren't great, but recently I've noticed the gap has been closing because, well, I've been looking into it myself. I haven't done it yet, but I looked into it last time I remortgaged and it didn't make sense because the rates, the rates weren't as good on the offset mortgage. But this time they're getting a lot closer, so... Mm -hmm. Could be option. I mean, that is pretty niche. I realize that. And uber niche category at the end, something called money market fund. Okay. So a money market fund is a low risk, but not zero risk investment. Okay. And I nearly didn't include it in here because we're talking about things that are basically really low risk or, or close to zero. But a money market fund is an investment. So it's a low risk, but it's not a zero risk. And basically, it's a great way to just keep cash well can be a great place to keep cash and how it works is instead of investing in stocks or shares or bonds it invests in short-term debt usually from governments or banks and companies with healthy balance sheets and high credit ratings and then it plays a small return to you as interest so it can be a stable low risk investment because the short time frames mean there's less uncertainty and you could argue that it's slightly more diversified in holding all your cash at one bank if you're in the portion of position to have more than 85 grand in one bank. But it, it shouldn't really be in this category because it's it is an investment. It is not, you know, you 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 could investments may fall in value, basically, unlike a savings account. But as investments go, it's reasonably boring. And that's what you're looking for, really boring. All right. So I can't think of any more, can you? No, I mean, not really. This is just going a little bit, it's kind of related, but a little bit off topic. Because I know obviously we're talking about the idea of having cash that you might need to spend on something in the future. So we're keeping it liquid, etc. Just one thing to say, of course, if you do have some cash that you don't need to spend and you're, obviously we talked about, you know, ISAs, etc. Stock and share, stocks and shares, ISAs. Don't forget, of course, another thing you could do with your cash if you've got some uh, is to pay down debt if the interest rate is high enough to well, need to do so. So just uh, you know, just to point out, we're only really looking here at if you've got cash and you need to use that cash for something, what you can do of it. Okay, so just bear that in mind. There might be other things you can do with your cash if you don't need to keep it aside. Great point goes without saying. You know, if you've got a credit card with a nineteen percent interest rate, paying down that credit card is a guarantee nineteen percent return. Okay. There's, there's no other place that I know of you can get a guaranteed 19% return other than paying down 
bad debt. Okay, so if you've got credit cards, store cards, some car finance, etc., bad debts, yeah, they'd probably just get you know get those paid down. I mean, really, what what you could probably argue is you need a one or two months of emergency fund, which I know is your favorite podcast. But emergency fund is just a supply of money that if anything really bad happens to you, you've just you don't have to you know you've got a couple of months of your outgoings stored up. Once you've got a couple of months of emergency fund, then pay down high interest rate debt, bad debt, and then you could consider building your emergency fund out to sort of six months or so. I mean, basically, because I'm self-employed, I have quite a large emergency fund, which is quite fortunate because I chopped my hand off recently. I'm not currently working as a doctor, which is a bit sad, and I will be back one day. But right now, if I didn't have, you know, insurance, income protection insurance, and an emergency fund, I'd be in a bit of bother. But as it is, I can just focus on getting better, making podcasts, talking, talking, talking to you. So yeah, great point. Absolutely great point. I was going to say something else, but I've forgotten now. Should I say what I've done with my... Yeah, money? good point. Yeah. That was exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. So as, as Tommy said, I, I, I do have some, some cash saved up because I've been saving as much as I can to try and pay off my help to buy a loan, which I took out in 2018. And from August this year, I'd have to start paying interest on, which the first year, I'm sure there are a lot of people who listen here have got help to buy loans will know the first year it's 1.75%, which isn't too bad given at the moment what interest rates are doing. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to try and pay that off when I can. So I've been saving lots of money for that. And, uh, you know, in terms of where I've put it, it's, it is quite spread out, to be honest. And maybe not the most tax efficient thing in the world, I'll be honest. But what I've done is I've put a big chunk of it into premium bonds. So you can pay up to £50,000 into premium bonds. We should have probably said that earlier. So there was a limit on that. And then it's it, per as, person, right? So Per person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Per person. So I, I, I'm on my own. So £50,000 for me or... Feel free to pay I, some into mine and we'll split the winnings, right? Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I don't know the legalities of that, but I will see. <laughs> Unless I can set some up for my cats, maybe that would that would do. Or those baby um, hedgehogs that have just hatched in your garden. That was so cool. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got um, I've got a head, a hedgehogs moved into my garden, and she's had three babies, which is quite cute. Love it. Yeah. So I put I put some money into premium bonds. I've only only had that investment for two months now, and uh, both both months I've won a prize, but the prize has been twenty five pounds each time. So not a huge amounts, but you know, nice to have and tax-free. So I've got some money in premium bonds. I do have some money in a, a savings account that pays an interest rate. I think it's 3.3% at the moment. So I've got that as well. Very, very quick and easy to get the money out of that when I need to, which is what I'm going to be going for when I pay it off. I've got some in a, an instant access account, no interest on that, but small amount. And I do have a bit of a, uh, I've got a LISA which I put money into, that's no help at all, as I said, from help to buy a loan, because I can't get that money out until I'm 60, because uh, it doesn't count for me to use that money for this house. And I do have a, a cash ISA, but I do where I can. I'm hoping I can save up some more money later to put into my stocks and shares ISA, which I'd much prefer to maximize out for the long term. But, but yeah, so it's a bit, it's spread out over a few places, but all those places will be very easy to get that money out when I do end up paying off the help to buy loan. Yeah. Yeah. And similarly, like I said, I have mine in premium bonds, which has not been great for me, but it's liquid. It's tax-free. I don't have to worry about any of those tax things that Ed talked about. 
Honestly, I'm actually looking around at some of these sort of savings accounts that are available at the moment because the interest rates are all right. Yeah. Some of them are like 5, 5% odds. Yeah. You know. But at, basically at any one time, I aim to be maximally invested in my stocks and shares ISA because of the charts that you saw earlier. But obviously at the moment, I'm having to be slightly more cautious because my income is a little variable because I've chopped my hand off. But uh, yeah. yeah. So none of this is advice. I've acknowledged that there's the numerically correct thing to do that makes sense. And then there's what we actually do. And that's just an example of how psychology influences your decisions. I've, I know premium bonds returns have been awful for me. I'm going to look it up your 4% claims, but I'm a natural gambler. And I just kind of, I like it that Ernie might just spit me a million pounds one day, but Ernie consistently seems to spit me 25 pounds, which is nice to have. I'm not complaining, but it doesn't make sense numerically. No, that's true. But you know, let's hope Ernie is, is kind. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I hope that was useful. It's a slightly different style of episode. So let us know in the YouTube comments, A, if you've got any questions, B, if you think we've missed anything, and C, do you like these more kind of chatty, informal kind of style episodes where we go through what we actually do rather than the textbook way of things, doing things? Because this is quite individual for us and it might not apply to everyone, but I think enough will. And also, if you haven't, could you please listen, listen? leave us a review on your podcast player of choice and just write a short review because it helps other people to discover the podcast. We are coming up to a million downloads of the podcast now. And that's the good news. On YouTube, we are, I think, around two and a half thousand subscribers. So we need to do a bit of work on YouTube. Fair enough. Which we are. We're releasing loads of new videos on YouTube about investing and, and more this kind of chatty kind of stuff, actually. So head on over to our YouTube channel. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good day wherever you are heading off to, whether you're on the way to work as a doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you so much for what you do, especially because you're helping patients like me. And if you're in the gym or something like that, well done. I haven't been in the gym for a while, but I am back on my exercise bike doing Zwift with the hand, which is just amazing after nine weeks. So I didn't oh, think man. that would happen. But yeah, Zwift in the summer. If you've ever done Zwift, you know how hot it is and it's the summer. So basically everyone does Zwift in the winter. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it in the summer. So on Zwift, it's just me and a load of Southern Hemisphere people. Everyone's from Australia or South Africa or Japan. And it's absolutely boiling. So I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds good. And uh, yeah, keep it up. I think that's it, mate. Yeah. Cheers, hey. guys. Yeah. I think they went all right. Yeah, that was good. Cool. What, Wift, is that the thing you're doing, you're doing on your Mac with the bike? Oh, how do I stop this thing? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's like a, I can't explain it, but it's like a computer game for biking. So you actually bike and then you, yeah, it's really good. I mean, it's because I can't ride on the outside world at the moment. Yeah.